0: Hey everyone, it is Wednesday, September twenty eighth. I'm Mo Shwanunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, or at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. There's a lot of headlines we're monitoring on this Wednesday. Hurricane Ian is expected to make landfall later today in Florida, potentially as a category three or category four. That is a significant storm regardless it is expected to bring dangerous storm surge and flooding and it could just sit over florida i'll have the latest on what meteorologists are saying we're also watching what took place at the nord stream gas pipeline this is a huge pipeline in europe potential sabotage multiple explosions along the pipeline it is a vital pipeline that brings gas from russia into europe we'll bring you the latest from there there are some new studies out on ultra processed foods and their impact on your body and your health Might be time to switch away from some of them, folks. I'll have the details on that. Our federal government announced on Tuesday that it has approved the building of electric car charges around the nation. And we'll have a bit of entertainment news, the incredible popularity of the Jeffrey Dahmer series on Netflix. I'll have the latest from Netflix on how many people are watching that show. But I wanna start with that monster hurricane, Ian, down there in the Gulf. As of this taping, late Tuesday night, heavy rain is already falling across parts of Florida people are experiencing winds as Hurricane Ian advances towards the state. It is forecast to come ashore near Sarasota at some point today. This is along Florida's west coast on the Gulf of Mexico. It could potentially be a Category 3 as it makes landfall. It is something you should be monitoring hour by hour throughout the day today. Ian crossed western Cuba on Tuesday morning with winds at about 125 miles per hour. It left widespread flooding and power outages on the island. Meanwhile, in Florida, officials have ordered evacuations across the coast from Tampa on down to Fort Myers. About two and a half million people fall under the evacuation orders. Let's hope most of them have gotten out. You have probably a couple more hours this morning, though it's already getting dangerous, and flooding is already happening on roads across Florida. Ian is expected to bring a combination of dangerous storm surges. The storm could bring 12 feet of storm surge where it makes landfall somewhere near Sarasota. To put that in context, that is the second story of many people's homes, which is why authorities have been so vocal about getting away from the coastline. Beyond the storm surge will be flooding. There are estimates that some areas of western Florida up to Tampa, even into Orlando and along the space goes, could be seeing more than a foot of rain. Some areas could see up to two feet of rain. This storm is expected to move very slowly. It's a reminder if you're familiar with Hurricane Harvey in Houston a few years ago, where they saw nearly four feet of water, four feet of rain in some areas and major flooding. This is the concern here with Ian. It's going to move very slowly. Some parts of Florida will be seeing rain for the next two days, two and a half days, potentially. In fact, Ian is not set to be over Jacksonville until midday on Friday, nearly three days after rain first started falling on the state. For many, the refuge is southeast Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Miami will experience some rain, but will experience the least worst part of the storm. First thing Wednesday morning might be the last chance to get out. But as I said, some roads may already be flooded. Let's hope if you are still along that western coast that you have the resources to hold out for several days with potentially no power and no emergency services available. A reminder that it's not wind but water storm surge flooding that is the biggest killer in these storms. I will stay on top of all these details on my Instagram feed all day over the course of the next two days as we continue to monitor landfall of Ian and its impact across Florida and the southeast. A heads up that if you live in Georgia or the Carolinas that you will likely be seeing Ian at some point this weekend, again with massive rainfall total. So just something that folks across the southeast and across the eastern seaboard should be monitoring as the storm makes its move ever so slowly up the coast. Disaster modelers and economists are already trying to put estimates on how much damage or economic loss we could expect, given this area. Right now, the estimate put out by one forecast, this is Enki Research, says there could be $45 billion in damage if the current forecast comes to pass. That's actually down. They were expecting $70 billion in damage if this made a dead-on hit on Tampa. It's looking, as of Tuesday night, like it'll hit south of Tampa, though Tampa will see an impact Either way, we will be looking at one of the most expensive storms in American history. The White House has already declared a state of emergency, which opens up FEMA help and funding. Though it is already having one more impact in D.C., the House committee that's investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol was expected to have its final big hearing today in Washington. They have postponed that citing Hurricane Ian's advancement in Florida. One of the congresswomen who is on the committee, Stephanie Murphy, uh, her district is in the path of the hurricane. Though honestly, the postponement is not surprising. The committee wants as much media attention as possible on the final hearing. They have not set a new date for the hearing, but it'll likely be in the next couple of weeks. Okay, let's head to Europe where major national leaders there said Tuesday, they believe that the explosions that damaged the pipelines, built to carry Russian natural gas to Europe were deliberate. This happened across the Nord Stream pipeline, which runs from Russia into Germany and Northern Europe and carries a significant amount of natural gas, a pair of explosions on Monday produced leaks in all three of the underwater Nord Stream pipelines that connect Russia and Germany. They've caused actually massive plumes of gas bubbles to break the surface of the Baltic Sea. I've posted some of those photos and videos on my Instagram account. These explosions do not appear to have been accidental, they appear to be deliberate. Some European officials are blaming the Kremlin, the Russians, for doing this, though uh, critics of that will say that the Russians would have had more leverage over Europe by keeping the uh, gas pipelines intact. Now they have to To do underwater repairs for now the damage does not have an immediate impact on europe's energy supplies russia actually cut off flows earlier this month and european countries have been scrambling to build up their stockpiles of natural gas as of before the war in ukraine europe received about 40 percent of its natural gas from russia that has diminished over the course of the past few months europe's been seeking alternative energy sources uh, and then most recently russia has been sort of messing with europe and shutting off the pipeline multiple times obviously this is much more significant here because these were explosions that blew holes into the pipeline again leading to leaks in the baltic sea the danish prime minister was quoted as saying these are deliberate actions not an accident the situation is as serious as it gets though the explosions happened in international waters So Denmark did not consider it an attack on Denmark. Like I said, Russia has been slashing its gas supplies to Europe via the Nord Stream pipeline. They suspended flows in August. They blamed Western sanctions for causing technical difficulties. Major European countries felt the Russians were trying to uh, essentially bully the West into lifting those sanctions to allow gas to flow to Europe again. A lot of this natural gas is primarily used to heat homes and businesses across the EU. It came from Russia, which is one of the continent's largest and most important trading partners for energy, or at least it was until the war in Ukraine and the uh, bringing of sanctions by the West in European countries. Now Europe is looking to continue to replace its natural gas. Now that uh, Russia has been cutting it off, now that you have an explosion of that key pipeline, they are looking to places like Norway, Azerbaijan, and the U.S. U.S. huge natural gas supplier, among others, to try to fill the void. This comes as Europe heads into winter, and Europeans across the continent will need an energy source to heat their homes. Staying with Russian news here for a second, we have gotten details and results from that referendum that happened over the last few days in Ukraine. Russian installed officials in those occupied Regions of Ukraine, surprise, surprise, say that huge majorities have voted in favor of becoming part of Russia. They had five days of voting here in what they called referendums. Everyone in the West has been calling this a complete sham. Here are the results, and this is even extreme by Russian standards. They said that the region of Donetsk voted with 99% to join Russia, Luhansk, 98% to join Russia. Zaporizhia, 93%, and a fourth region, Kherson, 87% to join Russia. We were expecting vast majorities given that Russian-installed officials literally took ballot boxes, some uh, with armed uh, soldiers house to house uh, for these referenda, telling people, hey, it's time to vote in the referenda. Do you want to join Russia or not? We will be watching how you vote as we take this box from house to house. So, needless to say, Ukraine and the West call this illegitimate, coercive, uh, and essentially illegal pretext for Russia to annex these four regions. These four regions, by the way, make up fifteen percent of Ukraine. They're currently occupied by the Russian military, and they were taken over the course of the past seven months. Russia had moved up these referenda. By the way, they were not expecting to do these so quickly, but after Ukraine sees momentum earlier in September and routed Russian forces across northeastern Kharkiv The Russians said, hey, it's time to hold referenda as quickly as possible in the regions we still hold and get them to vote to become part of Russia. Now, Moscow has been working to russify areas like this under its control for the last several months. They have been issuing people Russian passports, rewriting school curriculums to be more Russia focused. The head of the upper house of the Russian parliament was quoted as saying they will consider incorporating officially these four regions of Ukraine into Russia on October 4th. That's three days, by the way, before Vladimir Putin celebrates his 70th birthday next month. This is a pretty significant move by the Russians, but again, they have announced results here. And surprise, surprise, the Russian gun barrel referenda got anywhere between 87% and 99% approval in many of these regions, according to the Russians. Meanwhile, back in Moscow and across Russia, we're learning via the UK Guardian newspaper that some Russians are paying up to $27,000 for a one-way private ticket out of the country. This is all a response to the partial mobilization of the country's reservists that Putin made last week. Companies that offer private jet flights have reported a sharp increase. This is among the rich, who can afford a $20,000 plus ticket out of Russia. They're now charging anywhere between $20,000 to $27,000 for one seat. They've seen uh, demand increase by uh, 500% in some cases, depending on the companies that the Guardian is speaking to. Russians can't go to many countries right now, especially after some of the sanctions went into effect, but they are headed right now predominantly to places like Turkey, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. The Guardian also reports that they have an example of a minister of parliament who escorted his son, onto a plane to make sure that uh, they didn't have to serve or didn't have to be called up or mobilized as part of the service. It does speak to kind of the hypocrisy that many Russian men are calling out, that the rich and the well-connected are able to get their kids out of the country while the rest will have to serve. This also comes as we've seen pictures of miles of cars, of Russians trying to escape the country, uh, including at the border uh, with the country of Georgia. There were uh, tens of thousands of Russians trying to get through that border. That line actually, the photo, uh, can be seen via satellite from space. That's how long the line of cars is. Russian authorities announced on Tuesday, though, that they will conscript any mail in that traffic line. So it's probably time for some of them to turn around if they don't want to have to serve. And the Kremlin right now is considering completely closing its borders, given the number of Russian men who are trying to escape the country. Back here in the U.S., as we're about six weeks from midterms, we're already looking ahead to the 2024 presidential election. And Bernie Sanders, remember him? Well, he's doing some interviews, and he said on Monday that he hasn't decided whether he will make another bid for the White House. So if it didn't seem like deja vu enough with a potential rematch between Trump and Biden— Bernie Sanders tells CBS Mornings that, quote, I haven't made a decision as to whether I will run. Sanders, you may recall, is an independent who does caucus with the Democrats. He mounted his first presidential campaign in 2016, lost to Hillary. In 2020, he ran again, lost to Biden. He says his priority now is traveling around the country to get young progressives elected, though he is still considering running again for president. By the way, Bernie Sanders, currently 81 years old. Biden, 79 years old, Trump, 76 years old. For all of you tracking how old our president is and how old those who aspire to take him out are. Sanders was asked how he feels about the potential for Joe Biden to run for re-election as he currently plans to. In 2024, all Sanders would tell CBS was, quote, that's his decision. Okay, on another front here, some good news if a lack of charging stations is one of the reasons you haven't yet bought an electric car. The White House announced yesterday that all 50 states have now officially received final approval to begin the construction of the first nationwide network of electric vehicle charging stations. The goal here initially, and they hope to expand this over time, is to place roughly one charging station every 50 miles along the interstates. This is all part of the White House plan to spur the widespread adoption of zero emission vehicles. The U.S. Transportation Department says it has okayed the charger plans for the final set of 17 states. They went through all 50 states in D.C. All of them presented plans, said, okay, are we ready for our funding? The feds have now triggered the release of $1.5 billion in federal funds to begin building the charging stations. It will eventually be $5 billion over five years. The goal is to install or upgrade chargers along 75,000 miles of highway across the U.S., and the goal is to install about a half million chargers nationwide. I know there's a lot of numbers there. This is just the start as the U.S. tries to uh, bring about mass adoption. You might recall that California has already passed one of the most restrictive laws in the country trying to ban the sale of gas-powered vehicles in the next decade. Other states uh, are making moves in that direction. And the Biden administration is trying to ensure that Americans have a reason to finally go out and buy an electric car. By the end of this year, drivers could start to see expansions and upgrades to existing highway stations in places like California, Colorado, Florida, Pennsylvania. They are gonna be installing some of the fast charger ports. This enables you to recharge your electric vehicle in about an hour and the construction of some new charging locations. uh, The first batch of these that were again, approved today could begin next spring. Okay, some health news for you. This comes to us from the Washington Post. They're reporting out the larger impact of a study this summer that found that eating ultra-processed foods leads to heart disease and potential death. It's really the latest in dozens of large studies. Scientists have found that ultra-processed foods are linked to higher rates of obesity, heart disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and colon cancer. The most recent one in BMJ, formerly the British Medical Journal, studied 22,000 people and found that people who ate a lot of ultra-processed foods had a 19% higher likelihood of early death, a 32% higher risk of dying from heart disease compared with people who ate fewer ultra-processed foods. In many of our households, these ultra-processed foods are go-tos. They include breakfast cereals, muffins, snack bars, sweetened yogurt, soft drinks, energy drinks. Almost 60%, 60% of the calories that adults in America eat are from ultra-processed foods. But we're not alone. They actually also account for 25 to 50% of the calories consumed in many other countries. That includes England, Canada, France, Japan, Brazil, and Lebanon. And every year, food companies continue to introduce new ultra processed foods. They deliver uh, combinations of fat, sugar, sodium, artificial flavors. These are what scientists call ultra palatable, irresistible, easy to overeat, and capable of essentially hijacking the brain's reward system to provoke powerful cravings. I'll link to the Washington Post story in the show notes of this podcast. They also talk about alternatives here. They say the simplest way to cut ultra processed foods from your diet is to just buy fewer prepared and packaged foods and to consume more whole and minimally processed foods. Instead of buying sweetened fruit yogurts loaded with additives, they suggest buying plain yogurt, adding berries, nut butter, and honey. They also say consider skipping the frozen chicken nuggets and making your own baked nuggets at home, uh, which the Washington Post says in their story doesn't take that much more time. They also say to eliminate sugary sodas, sports drinks. I know this is hard for many people, but there was some pretty compelling data in this story uh, and these dozens of studies coming out on ultra-processed foods. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes. And a bit of entertainment news before we go, we've gotten some numbers now on Netflix's newest, biggest hit. This is the new series some of you have told me about, about Jeffrey Dahmer. I haven't gotten around to watching yet, but it turns out that many of you have. Netflix announced that in its first week since its launch of September 21st, nearly 200 million people, about 196 million people, watched Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Those number put it in the very top tier of Netflix since it's changed the way it reports ratings figures in June of 2021. Only a few shows have done better than The Dahmer Story uh, in recent years. That includes season two of Bridgerton, Season 4 of Stranger Things, and Squid Game. Dahmer has already done better than Inventing Anna or the third season of You. So this really puts it in the highest echelon of Netflix shows. It's really taken the world by storm here. I will uh, make sure, though I have heard it's a hard watch by many of you. It's a 10-part series. It stars Evan Peters as the notorious serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. It's largely told from the point of view of the victims. It dives deeply into the police incompetence and the apathy that essentially allowed the serial killer to go on a multi-year killing spree, uh, and all the times that they got close to apprehending him or close to arresting him, but they ultimately let him go. Though, again, I've been told by many of you, it's not the most uplifting show, but that should be no surprise. It is a show about a serial killer. All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please remember to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. It'll ensure that you don't miss a single episode. Also, be sure to review us in the app store. Leave us a quick review. That helps us continue to grow the show, continue to grow, uh, move up the rankings over in Apple and Spotify, though we are available on all of the platforms that you typically listen to your podcasts on. I'd love feedback on how I'm doing and what you'd like to see on the podcast. You can email me over at podcast at mo.news. Also, a reminder to subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bolton.com. We have a new edition out today for premium subscribers diving deep into Afghanistan. So check that out. You can also follow me on Instagram, if you aren't already, at Mosheh, where I will be covering all the day's news today and continuing to follow Hurricane Ian as the storm makes landfall in Florida. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.